Amen. You can take your seats. Thank you to the Hills Trio. Kathy and Adam and Rebecca just doing a great job. Just beautiful and uh, wonderful to be able to worship God in this way. Well, I guess, folks, uh, you could say we're sort of in a series at the moment, although a series of instalments that are connected to each other. Last week we spoke about the secret of guidance uh, and drew on a text by F.B. Meyer, a Christian classic, and we talked about God's desire to guide us and uh, how he guided us. Uh, And I guess this week we're moving on to maybe asking the question, well, you know, how might we follow after him and what might happen uh, in terms of his guidance, how he might intercept with us. And I've called this message uh, Stepping Out Together in Faith, uh, the miracle that God does among us and through us. Um, And I think it's true that perhaps whenever we think of miracle, uh, that mainly maybe we we think of ourselves and and we maybe think of something happening to us or or us witnessing something something as individuals uh, or, you know, maybe us praying for someone and something happening to them. And we may not uh, always immediately think of a miracle occurring um, within a group of us, within the church or a community or something like that. And I want to suggest that those type of miracles uh, are equally as important and uh, God often works, works through a group of people to bring about something that only he can achieve. Uh, I wanted you to consider a few questions as we started. Have you ever seen a miracle? Have you ever witnessed a miracle? Uh, Not just something remarkable, but something that you could say that was definitely the move of God. That that was definitely his hand that occurred there. Uh, How do we know that when we've seen a miracle? uh, You know, what what defines something as just being, well, you know, uh, an occurrence of the ordinary? And what defines something as... You know, well that, that can only be God. That must be God moving. The other question I often think about uh, is, does a miracle only have to happen in an instant? Often we think of miracles, we think of something dramatic or shocking that, that sort of just goes blur and, and just happens. But is it possible for a miracle to happen slowly? Is it possible for a miracle even to happen over centuries? Uh, over decades, uh, you know, over the entire move of a lifetime. And I want to suggest that uh, sometimes, in fact often, that the providence of God, the miracle of God, is unfolding at times that is almost imperceptible in the instant, but can be observed looking back through the years of time. And it's why we sing songs like we've sung today, where we can say, Lord, I stand here as a sign of your miraculous activity over my lifetime or, or through the miraculous activity through this community over centuries or, or in a way that we can just say, look, you know, we couldn't identify it at each moment, but looking back, we can see it. And I really want to encourage you with the idea that some people think a move of the Holy Spirit can only be something that's spontaneous or can only be something that is like that. But in fact, the Holy Spirit, he's, he's working on a very big program. 
and, and he's been at work uh, in us and in God's creation and in our society and our civilization for millennia, for, for years. It's, it's just God at work uh, in a powerful way that at times we don't recognize, uh, but he is there. And when we see it, when we look out and among us, we see God's activity. Another question to consider is, would you like to see a miracle? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever asked yourself a question? Yeah, you know, no, I don't want it. It sounds a bit too spooky, a bit too heavy for me. Miracle, what's that? Whereas others might think, yeah, I want to, you know, I want to see a miracle. Uh, And when you think about that, what have you got in mind? Uh, Some of us, uh, you know, who who like change and, and, you know, drawn to the spectacular, perhaps we're happy to say that we want a miracle. But here's another question. Is it okay to be want to see a miracle? Is that all right? You know, uh, does God want us to think in that way? I think it is. I think that it's natural for a child of God to want to see their good, good father move powerfully in their life and in the lives of others and in the life of their church and in the life of their community. I think that God does encourage us. Jesus says, ask and you'll receive. Jesus puts it all out there and says, step into the space of petition and of prayer and test me in this. You know, don't don't just, you know, stand still, don't just stand, but, but instead petition me, seek me and you will find. Knock and I will open. Uh, ask and you will receive. This idea that we are to step into that space and to, to almost, um, not so much putting to the test, but give him an opportunity and a space for him uh, to move. And then maybe the final question before we press on is... Um, uh, are you desperate for a miracle? What, what, where are you at? Now, I know some of you are probably in a situation who said, David, where I'm standing at the moment in my life, <laughs> oh, I'm desperate for a miracle. <laughs> you bet. I can tell you exactly where I need God to move. I can tell you exactly what, he, what I want him to do. I can tell you exactly, yes, I'm desperate. And many of you have that sense of, things in your life or situations or whatever where you know you've been praying you've been persisting you've been you're looking at them maybe you've stopped praying or whatever and and you're but the the circumstances are clear and that sense of desperation is right there and I want to encourage you that God encourages us to continue to believe to continue to pray to continue to speak into that because miracles both of an instantaneous nature and those that have unfolded over centuries are his specialty. The story of the Bible is of God stepping into time, as it were, and changing it and influencing it and redirecting the lives of people. And God's word is full of miraculous stories about his intervention. Um, And once again, we're often used to focusing on individuals and their interaction with God. It's full of those, though. They're great stories. Um, It's been said, when we step out, God steps in. I think that's a title of a book by Barry Chan, if I remember it correctly. When we step out, God steps in. The point of the saying is that 
I mean, God, God's outworking his program, but he gives us this opportunity, this dignity, this permission to interact with him in a faithful way and say, Lord, will you work in this way? That, that we get the opportunity to express faith and that God uh, is willing to respond, that, that God steps into this space. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. That, 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 to broaden out that, that phrase, you can't interact with God without faith. You know, firstly, it says in Hebrews, you've got to believe that he's there. <laughs> and then you've got to actually believe that he responds to the faithful prayer. That, that, that it's the only way that you can interact with him. And, uh, you know, a couple of stories that come to mind. Remember General Naaman? The Bible's full of stories, not just the privileged few, but General Naaman was a guy, uh, I think he was part of the Syrian army, if I remember correctly, and uh, he had a servant that had probably been taken a prisoner from one of the conflicts who was uh, a Jewish girl, and he's covered in this skin rash, and she says, you ought to go to the prophet of God and, you know, ask him if he can help. She's got faith. She's, in, she's a captive. Her, her, she's probably been taken from her family. Her faith from God is still there. And she says to her boss, you ought to go and talk to this guy. And, of course, the rest, uh, you remember the story. Uh, uh, I think it was the prophet um, Elijah. Elisha. Which one was it? Elisha. They could have separated their names a bit more than J and SH because it makes it very hard for preachers to remember. Elisha. Thank you, Kathy. And uh, he said, go and bathe in the, was it the Jordan? Seven times. I could have read up a bit more before I started talking about it. Um, and, you know, the general thinks that's ridiculous and eventually he obeys. So he steps out, although reluctantly, and he gets his miracle. He gets healed. So the favour of God is for everyone. It's for people outside. We remember the woman, you know, with the uh, issue of blood, as it's called, and is desperate and seizing Jesus' healing power and, and just thinks to herself, I can just make contact with him, just a physical connection, if I can just reach out and get hold of him. And she does, and healing power goes out of Jesus and she's changed. And then, of course, there's the example of the Apostle Peter. So there's a woman who's part of God's people, but she's separated through, through disease. There's the general who's not nothing to do with the people of God, but gets told about one of them about Jesus. And then there's Peter, who's right in the inner circle of Jesus. And he sees his saviour, his master, walking on water. It's like, you know... And Peter's reaction is beautiful. Peter's reaction is, I want to do that too. (laughs) And that's a good reaction for the people of God to have. When you see your Lord Jesus moving powerfully in the pages of the Bible, in the lives of others, through the church or whatever, it's good for you to say, Lord, invite me into that. Let me step into that. I want to walk with you through that miraculous space. Peter, he just wants to get out of the boat and get on this miracle, this water thing. And Jesus says, come. 
And he says to us, come, come, step out with me. And of course, he does for a short time. And then when the faith wavers, he gets rescued. So uh, there are all these stories. And we might have a chance to look at some of them more closely in the weeks to come. But the one that I want to look at today is a bit different from that. It's the story of God's people uh, crossing through the River Jordan into the Promised Land. And the reason why I want to focus on that is because it's a miracle that happens through the community of God's people. It's, it happens to them together at the same time. As you know, those of you aware of the story, this is the culmination of a long journey. Uh, the promises made to Abraham, God then delivers them from slavery. They then uh, falter with their newfound freedom and some of them want to go back. So they have to go through this wandering desert experience as their faith is strengthened, as God provides for them through an extended period of time. Does this sound familiar to anyone? (laughs) And then they get to this moment after their faith's been tested, they've delivered from sin, but then they have to walk into the promise. They then are presented at this boundary of water, once again, very significant in the Bible, bodies of water, the Red Sea, the Nile, the, the Jordan, where was Jesus baptised? The Jordan. So the people are about to go through their Jordan experience. and they, But <laughs> it's flooded. It's this massive obstacle. They're looking at where they're supposed to go over the other side and they can't see a way through. And they're given a set of instructions through their leader. They're, They're told what to do and on the face of it, they'd be thinking, that's crazy. The Red Sea's 40 years ago. Some of us have been born since then, just weren't even there. We don't know anything about this. What's this about crossing and walking through the Jordan in flood? So let's share this story together and let's just spend a little bit of time drawing out some things that might be for us as a church to respond to. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you'll know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. I'm told that's about 900 metres, if you're wondering. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of him. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out Before you, the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites and Jebusites, all of those people. 
See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as, and as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp and to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water stood the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap of great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down in the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So, I mean, as we read this story, uh, maybe a few things occur to you. Perhaps you start thinking, how did that happen? <laughs> what kind of story is this? You know, is it just a, a little allegory or, you know, whatever? But it's actually told as an event that really happened. And we know that because it gives details of where the crossing was. And it specifically states where the water stopped. It gives you the town name and everything. It tells you what time of year it was, uh, that it was a time when uh, the water was flowing freely. And it's definitely a story that's given and told as one that is a real event that happened in the history of God's people. And from it, we can draw many things that I'll invite you, and I want to invite you to step in and consider it. Firstly... The people are told to watch for the Father's activity, to watch for the activity of the presence of God, which at that time was represented by uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And in Joshua 3, 3 and 4, it says, when you see the Ark of the Covenant and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. And the modern day equivalent, if you like, for us is that the power of the Holy Spirit, when we see the activity of Jesus through that, we are to flow with it. We are to move with it. That we're given a command to go after him in that direction. And uh, it also adds for the writer that we have to do that as a church and as individuals because we will then know the way to go since we have never been that way before. I don't think there's any of us that would stand here and say, oh, we know what's going to happen in the life of the church. We've seen it all before. This is what's going to unfold. You know, uh, the way that God wants to lead this community will be unique to it. it. It will be something that he wants to do, that for us to flow with it, we really have to go in the direction that he's leading. So we're to watch for the Father's activity. We're to watch for the move of the Holy Spirit and we're to flow with it because... We, haven't, we don't know which way to go and we've never been the way before that God wants to lead us in going. And when you think about it, that makes sense. You haven't been where the rest of your life is going to take you as God moves through you. The rest of your life is going to be a new event for you. Uh, it's going to be something by God's grace that uh, you will not have seen before. 
Then Joshua says something really interesting as he starts to move among the people. He says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. Now, consecrate uh, is a, uh, an interesting term, but basically Joshua, the leader of the people, is saying to the people, prepare yourself for the miraculous activity of God. Prepare yourself for God to move in and through your circumstances powerfully. And that's something that we can do both on our own, but also together as a community. And you could say that the moving of our prayer meeting from monthly to weekly is one of those things. It's one of those preparations. It's like saying, Lord, we now want to stand in the place of prayer as a community on a weekly basis and expect you to move through our, our not only our Sunday service, but our week and to move us in the direction that you would have us going. That's just one of them. Uh, one of the ways that uh, uh, people uh, were to consecrate themselves involved a physical washing. Now, I'm not suggesting that everyone has to go out and have a spiritual, uh, that we're supposed to have a shower or anything like that, although I hope you're doing that every week. I hope that's your privilege as it is mine. Uh, but the interesting uh, equivalent, if you like, is found in Ephesians chapter 5, where it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her, by the washing with water through the word. So here it identifies a form of consecration that basically comes through the word of God. And I know you hear me say it a lot and you maybe you're getting sick of it, I don't know, but I don't think there's any way I can really stand before you as a pastor and not talk to you about being in the word of God. Obviously we use the word of God to preach every week, but there's a sense that there needs to be a, cost, a constant washing. I'm assuming you don't have a shower once a week. If there's somebody here that does that, God bless you. Maybe, I don't know. Do we know? I don't know. I could not function in that way. So if you're expecting to be washed once a week because you come to church, I, your hygiene's going to drop it's not going to work. You need a daily bath. Really, you do. Because our thinking, it wants to go there, it wants to go there. We're assaulted by media these days more than any other time in the history of humanity. And I, look, I've got an iPhone and it's just, man, I need a wash. Now, I can turn my iPhone into a source of my Bible reading. Well, that's a bit of a solution but we've got to be prepared by the word. And it was very interesting to me, and you've heard me talk about this before, but I often think about it, that one of the ways that God prepared me to say yes to the call of being a pastor was by engaging with the Bible on a daily basis. I wasn't doing it at that time as a Christian. I think I'd been a believer for about 15 years, and I had never really engage with the Bible on a regular basis. I hadn't. Uh, and I knew that it was a deficiency. And so at that time, I wasn't thinking about, I'm just thinking about, I need to read the Bible. I'm a journalist. Uh, I'm a Christian. I should be engaging with this text. And so I set myself to read the entire Bible through a year. Uh, and um, I think it was the second time that I was doing it. I encountered God in a way 
that I, I'd never really experienced beforehand. And it, God spoke to me through one of the scriptures. It was the start of 1 Samuel in a way that it, it was not only a powerful moment, but it was a preparation for what was to come. And I feel like God was saying to me at that time, I want to move in and through your life, prepare yourself and get washed in my word. I want to take you to the next level, the next moment, the other side of the river, call it what you want. Get in here. And some of you are eager and thirsty for a move of God in your life. You're wanting to see the move and the activity of God in your life, but you're not preparing yourself and getting engaged with his word in a way that's going to allow that to happen. Because in here is, if you like, the mind of God, the, the nature of God, his character, his nature is found in this. So I will always present and put before you the word of God, whether it's something you think, gee, I don't even know if I read much or I can't understand half of it. I'll never stop saying that because it's one of the ways that we prepare ourselves for a move of God. Prayer is the other, worship is the other, and of course service and committing ourselves to, to serving others is, is another. So Joshua stares and says, get ready. God's going to move through you. Prepare yourself, consecrate yourself, commit yourself to him and say it's his way and no other way for me and for my church community. And I believe as we do that together, then God's not only going to move through your life, but he's going to move through ours. So prepare, watch for the Father's activity, prepare for the Father's activity, stand with the Father in the midst of opposing forces. And uh, this is at a time when Joshua is still early on in his leadership. He was following in the footsteps of Moses has there been a more difficult calling to follow in the footsteps of Moses? I mean, give me a break. He, you know, the Red Sea thing, I mean, he really, he, he nailed that one. <laughs> and he's, you know, the Ten Commandments, he's got a good CV, Moses. And there's little Joshua standing by his side. Moses says, actually, uh, Joshua's probably thinking, man, we're going to get into the promised land. I'm going to be right there with Moses. Moses said, actually, I've got something to tell you. God said, I can't go in. Goodbye. It's over to you. So the people, all they've known, most of them, all they've known is Moses, this guy who led them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and gave the Ten Commandments and climbed Mount Sinai four times, nearly killed me doing it once, led them through the desert. And he's Joshua. And they're thinking, who's this guy? Where's Moses? What's going on? What's this talk about going through a river, consecrating yourself? And I'm sure Joshua, even though he, we know he was a man of great faith, because he and Caleb said when they were sent to scout out the promised land, it is fantastic. We can certainly take it. They were the two spies that said, let's go. And the other 10 said, man, it's a big ask. And a bad report went out, said, you're not going to make it, we'll never do it. So Joshua, we know, stood in a good place. But God then says to him and says, I'm going to excite you in the eyes of all the people. Why? Because he could be popular, so he'd get rich? No. It's got a purpose. So they might know that I'm with you in the same way that I was with Moses. So they might know that I've sent you to lead them. 
You've been given this position. It's for a reason. And through the doing of this miracle in the community, not Joshua performing some act, but it happening through the community, they will know that I'm leading you. Tell the priests to go and carry the Ark of the Covenant and when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. Very important principle. Sometimes we're saying, Lord, I want a miracle and I believe you can do it and it's going to be fantastic and let's go. And we just stand exactly where we are. We don't move a single muscle. We don't pick up the word of God. There is no change in our attitude or circumstance or action or activity, but we're ready for the miracle of God. Well, we're partakers and participants in the move of God. In some way, we have to express our faith, and it's usually through some form of movement, some form of activity, whether it's just picking that up or whether it's praying or whether it's serving or whatever it might be, we make a change expecting God to move. And they are not allowed to stand on the edge of the water and say, part the water. You know, we're not moving until we see it. But Joshua says, get in. That river, stand in that space. That's the expression of your faith in God. You are moving in with the ark. It's flowing and in flood, but you are going to go in and show and demonstrate your submission to the activity of God. You're going to go in that space. So you could think about the river as opposing forces. This particular passage uses the phrase to stand I mentioned earlier, earlier um, the phrase, when we step out, God steps in. This time, and it's saying when God steps out, we step in. <laughs> We're to follow him and to flow with him. So we stand with the Father in the midst of opposing forces. And of course, you might then be thinking, well, who's the priesthood today? Because Joshua was talking to the priests they led the people and went first. Well, none of us escaped today because we're a chosen people, we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We've all got a responsibility to express faith in response to the activity of God today. Then we engage with the Father in the opposing forces. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Friends, I want to declare on the authority of God's word based on my experience of the activity of the Holy Spirit that no body of God's people will express faith in some tangible way and fail to see the deliverance of God as they move forward. It just can't happen. God must respond to faith. It's his nature. And so if a group of people said, we are going to express faith in this way, whether it's starting a new ministry or moving its prayer group or engaging with the word of God or buying a property, whatever you like, God can't help but say, I will be with them. I will part the water for them to move forward in faith. And I, I can't believe that any of us would 
doubt that. I know that sometimes we're assaulted with fear, but when the priests step in, they obey the word of God, they go with their leader, they're carrying the presence of God, which we carry today inside of us, the Holy Spirit. When we move, God parts the water and says, go through. I will make a way as you respond to me in faith. So we engage with the Father in the opposing forces. Now here's an interesting one, interesting way of putting it, but this is a beautiful picture that the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now I want to put you, I want you to put yourself in the picture of those priests for a minute. That's you, by the way. <laughs> so they're walking into the Jordan. They're thinking something's happening. The water flow's going down. Uh, they get to the middle. I reckon the temptation would have been, let's get to the other side before this miracle finishes and we get washed downstream with this 600 kilogram ark that's killing my back. But no, the priests, the community of God's people, the leaders... They have to stand in the middle while everyone else goes past. And sometimes, folks, we have to hold a line. We have to remain in position while others go through into salvation. That's why I've used that heading. There's sometimes a temptation is, mate, I need to get moving. I need to get on with my life. I need to get to the other side. I want to get onto the promised land. I, I, you know, like I can see the river up there. I don't know what's going on. And, and we, we're thinking we want to move on, but the true priests don't depart, don't leave, but they remain in position holding the presence of God while the people go through into the promised land. And that's a ministry church. That's a sacrifice. That's a gift. No move of God doesn't involve sacrifice. It started with his own son, our, our own community, is free today because of the ministry of the Anzacs who gave up their lives, some at extremely young ages, so that tyranny could not rule. It involves sacrifice. Their lives stopped so that ours might go on. And it's the same when it comes to the kingdom of God. So the priests stay in the middle uh, and it says, maybe as an idea, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That passage in Corinthians refers to Jesus on the cross, whose earthly life stops there. And while it happens, God reconciles the good people. <laughs> the world, the world comes back to him. Through this one man who stands in the middle of the Jordan and says, I will hold in my position while you go through to eternal life. Now we know that God raised him from the dead, that God seated him next to the right hand. God didn't forget the one that stood in place while we were saved. But he allowed Jesus to be the saving grace. We're moving towards a time of communion, and that's why it's appropriate uh, for uh, us to look at this scripture. Uh, 
God not only parted the uh, Jordan so that the people could go through to the promised land, but he gave specific instructions for them to create a memorial. He wanted each priest to take a stone from the middle of the Jordan while it was dry and cross to the other side and uh, erect the stones so that they became a memorial. And it says in the scriptures that they're still there today. When that was written, the writer was happy for people to go and look and find them because they were still there. And it had a purpose. The purpose of the memorial was so that uh, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? You can tell them the story of the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, before the presence of the Lord. And that when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So, God not only moves through the community for our benefit. The the miraculous power of God happening through us is not just so that we'll get a warm, fuzzy feeling, but so that others, in this case the generation to come, might be able to say God moved through that activity. God moved through that group of people. That is a sign for future generations of the faithfulness of God. And we know that before Jesus went to the cross, he gave his disciples a specific memorial instruction. Because what he was about to do was going to affect the history of humanity forever. So he said to his disciples, eat this, drink this in remembrance of me. And every time that we gather together as a church and we share communion, we are looking back and saying, God did this back then. That through the death of Jesus Christ, he moved and we acknowledge that today and we share that today with each other. God is a powerful God. And before we engage and pray together, I want to share this last scripture because it's connected to that. Um, Verse 24, he did this so that all peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. There was a purpose. It's given to us in the scripture. Why did he do it? So that everyone might know that the Lord is God. So that those beyond us might know that the Lord is God and so that uh, we might acknowledge him and respect him, but also understand that the God that we serve has power to do what he has said. Why don't we pray together? Father, we thank you for your faithfulness over the ages. And Lord, as we look today at the story of your people standing on the edge of the Jordan, We see, firstly, Lord, a faithfulness and an obedience that were pre-runners, forerunners to the move of your Holy Spirit in that community. And Lord, we also see that you faithfully led them through the life of Joshua, 
and that the people were able to step into your promise as they submitted and obeyed and stepped out in faith. And Lord, we sense today that we are being presented once again as a community with another faith challenge. That it was a step of faith for 70 people to leave the church that they were familiar with 20 years ago and come to this place. But Lord, that you are now calling us to a new faith challenge and a new step of faith that we have to express together and not just on our own, that we have to do it together as a group. And Lord, we pray that we would be ready to step into the Jordan, that we would see the promised land, we would see the souls saved, we'd see the goodness that you are preparing for us and for so many, and that we would be willing to have the be the ones, to be the priests, as it were, to stand in the place of salvation as others come in. Father, we thank you for the fact that you were willing to sacrifice yourself firstly and foremostly through the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Lord, that you've given us a memorial feast to acknowledge and declare that you move powerfully through the life of Jesus and that you do today. So Lord, as we get ready as a community to acknowledge the sacrifice of those who died on our behalf through our armed forces on Wednesday, Lord, we pray today that you would help us to remember and acknowledge the one who died on our behalf in order to set us free from sin, to live in the land of promise, and to enjoy your presence forever, we pray in and through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.